From the time uh, I was a child, I've been reading and memorizing and studying this book. I believe it is the Word of God, life-changing truth. Most people don't believe that. The average American uh, views the Bible as outdated and irrelevant, while many people would say, well, it contains a few good ideas. They mostly see it as full of embarrassing concepts, ridiculous stories, and inconsistencies. And it doesn't help that so many Christians misuse, misunderstand, misquote the Bible. So what gives? How can someone like me and probably many of you see the Bible as having the words of life and others see it as nonsense for simpletons? Today we begin a series called Text Message. Over the next few weeks we will look at what Scripture says about itself. Where did it come from? How does it make a difference in our lives? We begin this morning with illumination. That's a doctrine that addresses the question of why one person can understand and believe God's truth and another person find it ridiculous. Illumination refers to how God shines His light on His truth, enabling you to see what you cannot see before. That's the doctrine of illumination. Last Sunday after church, um, our, uh, our daughter left right after church in my vehicle so she could begin to make a special lunch for her mother on Mother's Day, which she would also allow me to eat as well. Amy and I left after a while later in her vehicle, And uh, before I got out of the parking lot, I noticed there was a a low tire pressure gauge on in the car. And so I got out to the the nearest air pump, and um, we scrounged around and found $1.50 in quarters, just exactly. And uh, I got and took out all all the the caps off of the uh, all four tires, figured I'd fill them all up uh, while I was at it. I uh, put the uh, quarters into the machine, and the compressor started, and I took the hose and dragged it around to the tire I knew needed to be filled first, and realized that there's no nozzle. And there was no way to put that in. The, the air is pouring out of the end of the hose, the compressor's making all kinds of noise, and there's no way I can put the air in the tire. And I was doing this because it was Mother's Day. I would have made Amy do it otherwise. (laughs) Not true. I I want you to picture illumination like the missing nozzle. Without it, you cannot believe and understand the Bible. Oh, it's there and it's real, but, but you can't understand and believe it without illumination. So I want to focus on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians this morning, uh, this portion of Scripture, uh, and to set up the passage, to to set up this text, I want to quote my friend Dr. Kyle Bushry. He says, "In, in the Greek culture of Corinth, it was common for professional speakers to be sought out who had really solid, logical, persuasive arguments. The Greeks liked wisdom so much that they would pay the guys who could speak really well. In this setting, it's possible that the gospel could flourish if it simply sounded persuasive. If the speaker was good, the Corinthian people would become fans. They would follow his Twitter feed and show up at all his gigs. 
And so Paul was concerned that people would think Christianity was only true because it was the most persuasive argument based on human wisdom. And that sets up the the passage that Paul writes to the Corinthians here because he, he says here that instead of trying to be a great orator, instead of trying to have a flashy presentation, Paul said, I, I'm avoiding eloquence. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I didn't use lofty speech. I didn't use persuasive arguments when I told you about God. In fact, he says, I came in weakness. I came shaking in my boots. And my message was only about Jesus who was crucified. That was his message. He stuck to that message. And crucifixion was a shameful event. Uh, Crucifixion was reserved for the lowest form of criminal. And so the message that Jesus, the Son of God, would die on a cross, executed by the Roman government, was not attractive to that culture in any way, shape, or form. The Greeks had glamorous, powerful gods. And so this Jesus on a cross would, would be weak. He would be a loser. But that was Paul's message. When he announced the message of the cross to that culture, they thought it was foolish. They thought it was nonsense. But to those who believe, Paul says, it's the power of God for salvation. So what makes the difference? How can people hear the same message and and react so differently? For some, it's the power of God to salvation. For others, it's foolishness. Well, it's illumination. Three facts about illumination I want to point out to you from the passage that we study this morning. The first fact is this. You cannot truly know God unless He chooses to reveal Himself. Chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, I've known uh, Amy, my wife, since she was 10 and I was 13. Uh, about 10 years later, we got married. Uh, We're in our 37th year of marriage. I would say, after all that time, she knows me better than anyone else. And still, there are times that I say something, or I do something, and she says, you are a mystery to me. (laughs) And our youngest daughter who is a lot like me, we have the same sense of humor, we say a lot of the same things and so forth, uh, this week, I, I, I did a group text to our immediate family about something I had just done, and, and my daughter replied in text, why are you like this? <laughs> See, even those who know me best don't understand me completely. How much more is that true of God? Unless he unveils himself to us and illumines us, we can't know him. He has to choose to reveal himself to us. God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And out of His great love for sinful people, God the Father sent His perfect Son into the world in human form, God in flesh, incarnate. And so Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Jesus is the living Word of God, revealing the way to God. By his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, Jesus bridged the gap between sinful people and a holy God. And all who believe are made right with God. They become his very sons and daughters. So Jesus has revealed the Father. 
And apart from Jesus' saving work on the cross, we cannot find the way to God. We cannot know God. God the Father made it possible. Now, while we can all understand some things about God by observing creation, for example, you can't fully know, really know God, unless He chooses to reveal it. Just like you can know something about your neighbor by observing his house and his yard, but you can't really understand your neighbor unless he chooses to let you into his life. So how does God let people into his life? How does he reveal himself? How does he choose to do that? Well, by the third person of the Trinity, God's own Spirit. As he says in these verses, but let me come to the second point, the second fact. You can only understand God's truth by the Spirit. Verse 12, now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So when Jesus left this earth after his resurrection, uh, he, he left, he said, to prepare a place for us in the Father's house, and he promised not to leave his people as orphans. He would send the Holy Spirit to teach, to guide, to encourage, to comfort the people of God. And it is that Spirit who illumines us to understand God. Without the illumination of the Spirit, human beings couldn't even dream up what God has planned. I mean, who would have guessed that God's plan would be to restore us by dying on the cross, His Son dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and securing new life for those who believe? Who would have guessed that God would love us in the first place? But when the Spirit of God who knows the thoughts of God, illuminates the human heart, we're transformed by this amazing truth. And that same Spirit that transforms you also enables you to understand the things of God. Now, Paul is writing to Christians, the, the Christians living in the city of Corinth, those who have already believed on Jesus, those who have put their trust in Christ as Savior of the world, trusting Him alone. And notice that he says, we have received the Spirit. Uh, the moment you place your faith in Christ alone, God gives His Spirit to you. That's what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. You become a temple of the living God. When you believe, the Holy Spirit has a permanent residence in your life. And many wonderful things are true because of that. But the one that's emphasized here is illumination. The Spirit will reveal the deep things of God to you. The moment you come to Jesus, the moment you put your faith in Christ, whether you are a child or, or a young person or an adult, uh, the moment that happens, the Holy Spirit lives in you, is put in you, and the Holy Spirit gives you insight into God's truth. He's there to help you see and to understand and to apply all that God has revealed about Himself. The Spirit teaches you and reminds you and guides you and gives you wisdom and reveals the deep things of God. Now, illumination is not a spiritual gift that only goes to some and not others. No, the same Spirit that lives in me lives in you if you belong to Jesus. And when you open the Scripture and you say, okay, God, here I am, I want to understand, the Spirit is at work shining light on God's truth. To quote Kyle again, he says, when you become a Christian, you start off as a baby and to teach a baby to read, do you, do you hand them a book? No, because they gnaw on the corner and then you have to explain what you did to the librarian. To teach a baby, you read to him. 
you walk alongside and act as a teacher. And as the child gets older, you might start pointing out at the words while you read them. You challenge older kids to go deeper. The Holy Spirit is our constant teacher. He takes the inspired Word and all the other gifts that God has given to us and uses them to shed light on the person and character of God so that we will grow to be more like Jesus. Paul continues in verse 14. He says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned, but we have the mind of Christ. So when you don't understand God's truth, it's not that you lack intelligence, it's not that you lack education. One primary reason is that you lack the Holy Spirit, meaning that you are not yet a believer. The gospel makes no rational sense. It it simply appears ridiculous unless the Spirit of God reveals truth to you. So if you don't get the gospel, if you don't understand the, the ridiculous, the foolishness of the cross, then you are not yet a believer. The Holy Spirit of God is not in you. The, the sacrificial death of God's Son seems nonsensical apart from the Spirit. But with the Spirit's enlightenment, you're able to understand the mind of Christ. And you understand that Jesus' death and resurrection is the only solution for your sinful condition. The basic message of the cross is good news that you embrace gratefully and desperately. The Spirit has illumined your understanding. But even Christians struggle to understand some things. Uh, They understand the gospel, but there are sometimes that Christians then struggle to understand more than that. That brings us to the third fact, and that is you you can short-circuit the Spirit's illumination. You can short-circuit it. Um, I think it would be about two years ago now, we had a candidate come from out of state for uh, interviewing for a position. Um, and I, it was like Friday night or Saturday night, and I was showing this person uh, around our campus. I was taking them into the buildings and various places, and, and uh, we got to the student ministry building. And uh, I had the fob to undo the, uh, the alarm system, and I opened the door. We went into the student ministry building, and then I was going to go further into the gym. But I couldn't find the light switches for the gym. I don't know where they are at all. Like I look in places I would think, well, it would be logical to have a switch here somewhere. And it might have turned a light on in Russia somewhere, but it didn't turn one on in the gym. So I'm wondering where are these, and I looked for a while, and then I gave up, and I just opened the door to the gym, complete darkness. I took out my iPhone and I shined a light in there and I said, there's the gym, let's go. So didn't really see it. Uh, In fact, uh, on Good Friday, one of the pastors volunteered to show me where the light switches are, and I said, I don't want to know. That's too much responsibility. I just would assume not to know. That'd be great. Now, think about that for a moment. Uh, Let me tell you, every believer has the Holy Spirit, and so if you are in Christ, you have everything you need for illumination, in fact, 1 John 2.27 says, you don't, if you, when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need anyone to teach you. It's not that you can't learn from others. It's not that you shouldn't learn from others. You, in fact, should. But the gift of the Holy Spirit provides you everything you need for life and godliness. But despite having 
all that access, all that assistance, all that ability, you can lack light. I had the authority to enter the building. I had the ability to turn off the alarm system. I had the key to open the door. Still couldn't pull it off. You can have all the access, assistance, and ability, uh, and you can short-circuit the illumination of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Well, lots of reasons, but one is that's what happened to the Corinthians. In the very next few verses, Paul points out at least three reasons why a person with the Spirit can fail to be illuminated by the Spirit of God. Let's look at those reasons. First, Christians can fail to be illumined by being unprepared. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. So Paul is talking to believers who have the Holy Spirit, but they live as if they do not. They're not experiencing the deep things of God. The Corinthians were not ready to hear from God. That means there was no expectation to hear from God. There was no effort put into hearing from God. There was no eagerness to hear from God. And that is why many Christians do not experience illumination. This lack of desire, this lack of discipline. And so Paul said, I can only give you milk. That is the elementary truths of the gospel. Now understand, we never outgrow our need for the milk of the gospel. My 86-year-old mother forgive me for saying how old she is, drinks milk all the time. Her bones are very strong. This woman is going to outlive me by 30, 40 years maybe. She is in incredible shape. She still drinks milk at 86 for that purpose. She's strong. You don't outgrow your need for the gospel, the elementary truth of the gospel. I need to preach the gospel to myself every single day, and so do you, to remind ourselves of that. But as we mature, We can also handle solid food, deeper doctrines. And I would tell you that the lack of depth and maturity is killing the American church. Killing it. And since there are so many churches around, if you still want to attend church, which many, many people do not, but if you still want to attend church and you don't want to be burdened with heavy truth or any doctrine, you can find one that gives light inspirational messages. My wife and I usually text each other a couple of times during the day. Frankly, it's often just an emoji. I mean, one little kissy face or, or a heart. That's meaningful. Not exactly deep communication. It's far deeper when we're able to spend significant time together. You know, a week or two ago, didn't have anything going on in the evening. We both realized we had some, some uh, errands that we needed to run. And I said, well, let's, let's go do these errands together. And then let's like, just go out and have dinner someplace together. Novel, radical idea. <laughs> and so there were three hours where it was just us. Just the two of us. No, nothing in the way. We discussed life. We, we got into some deeper things about one another and our family and our future. And, and we were face-to-face. There was undivided attention. That takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. And one reason Christians don't experience much illumination is that they expect Scripture to be like spiritual fast food that they can just take in and be dramatically changed. An emoji of truth. And they're not willing to invest the time or the discipline. But when you give undivided attention, when you give time for meditation in God's Word, then you can expect the Spirit's illumination. 
When you don't expect to hear from God as you read, as you listen, you will not hear from God. When you don't put forward any effort to hear from God, you won't hear from God. And when all your spiritual sustenance comes from what's fed to you by somebody else, the pastor, your group leader, your teacher, you will short-circuit the illumination of the Spirit. Second, Christians can fail to be illumined by living like the world. Verse 3, Paul says, you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Last week I read the Chicago Tribune and in the advice column, a, a woman wrote that her dad had been a pastor for 48 years and she had been attending his church her whole life, but she wants to leave the church. She doesn't want her dad, but she wants to leave the church because of how disrespectful the people in the church are. She said, I dread services because it's pretty much guaranteed someone will make a hateful comment to me. And now they've added my young child to their wounding words, so I've been letting people know they're mean and they're not being good Christians. That's well, shocking, isn't it? How strange that church people can be as nasty or nastier than people who aren't in church. Yeah, happens all the time, sadly. That church people can refuse to forgive those who've wronged them. To do exactly what Paul says was happening in Corinth. Notice, he says there's jealousy and quarreling. The word jealousy means to be envious of someone who has what you want. And there's quarreling, there's conflict the Greek word he uses means there's selfish rivalry. They want this position or they want this, this thing that someone else has. And so that's worldliness. And you live like the world when you look out for yourself first, when you lust after what you see, when you boast about what you have, when you're consumed with your needs, your plans, your, your desires. And the more that's true of you, the more you're living like the world, the less you will hear from God, the less illumination by the Spirit you will receive. Third, Christians can fail to be illumined by idolizing people. Verse 4, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. So the Corinthians had this distorted view of how God works. They were taking sides. They were fragmenting the church. They had this human-centered view of ministry. And Paul has to remind them that every Christian leader is simply a servant. They're a tool in the hands of God. So it's amazing to me. There's this celebrity culture that was developing even in the earliest days of the church. The most gifted leaders, the most dynamic speakers, the missionaries with the most amazing testimonies were revered. So much so that back in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul had to chide them for caring more about who was baptizing them than who they were being baptized into. You're all, you want Apollos to baptize you, you want me to baptize you. No, 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 that's not what it's about. You, you need to be wrapped up in being identified with Jesus. And I would say this celebrity culture is rampant in the church of Jesus Christ today. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And so that one personality is that church. And when he or she dies or fails, that church will likely melt away. And this becomes a roadblock to the illumination of the Spirit. You say, well, how, how is that? Well, your favorite Bible teacher, your pastor, 
your favorite Christian writer then becomes the standard for truth. And you leave no room for the Spirit to enlighten your heart apart from your hero. And in fact, I've seen it block people say, well, I don't agree with that because this is what so-and-so says. And it blocks the illumination of the Spirit. Idolization hampers illumination. You begin to listen to a person more than to the Spirit. Now, if you are a believer who does not experience the illuminating power of the Spirit to a great extent, it may be because you're not prepared. It may be because you are worldly. It may be because you're too focused on a spiritual hero or all of the above. So what difference does all this make? What do I do with this information? How does this work in my life? Well, let's think about this. God is ready to give you fresh insights about himself by the Spirit. Never forget this. God is ready to give you fresh insights about himself by his Spirit. That's how he's designed it. And no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, there's always more of God to discover. Since he is infinite and eternal, he is inexhaustible. And the more you know about the character of God and the attributes of God, the more you can survive the chaos in your life, the more you can survive the anxiety in your life. The deeper you go in your knowledge of the truth, the stronger you will stand in the storms that come into your life. And that knowledge of God is revealed by the Spirit. Jesus told his disciples... John 14, 26, that the Spirit will teach you all things. And that same Spirit is in every single one of you who belongs to Jesus. He will guide you. He will teach you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to understand every single thing that Scripture says in an instant or even in a lifetime. I'm sure I will go to my deathbed not understanding many of the things of God here. But there is rich treasure that the Spirit will help uncover. And what he uncovers will be what you need when you need it. When you're ready for it. The Spirit of God illuminated in your life will show you things from the Word, from the character of God that will be what you need when you need it, when you're ready to take it in. The Spirit who opened your eyes to the need of a Savior will keep on revealing more and more about God Himself. I read about an app called Be My Eyes. And it allows sighted people to lend their eyes to those with visual impairments through a video chat. And uh, so using their camera phone, a a blind person can see what's in front of them by connecting with a volunteer. Uh, For example, uh, one visually impaired young man wanted to know the expiration date on the milk in his refrigerator. And, And so after connecting with a volunteer through the app, Uh, He pointed the camera at the top shelf of his refrigerator, and the volunteer looked closely, and he said, I wouldn't drink that if I were you. How much more powerful and necessary is the work of the Holy Spirit of God? He will show you what you could otherwise not see. He will guide you when you do not otherwise know where to go. He will open up your understanding, and every month and every year that goes by, you should understand more and more of what God has revealed. A seminary degree is not required. Knowledge of Greek and Hebrew language is not necessary. Don't be intimidated. Simply read a chapter of Scripture every day, a portion of Scripture every day, and before you read, ask God to reveal, what is it that you want me to know? What should I know? 
And after you read, ask him to help you apply that in your life. And then let that word roll around in your mind and the Holy Spirit of God will use it to instruct you and guide you and teach you. Let that knowledge of God be the grid through which you see your world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your provision to us in every way. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are actively at work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would guide your people that you would give us insight into who you are, what you are doing, how you want us to live, and that we would trust you and follow you every day. Lord, may this church be a place that is known as people who seek to know you better and that you give us insights that we so desperately need. We honor you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.